All right, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are finishing the final few verses of, of this chapter, but let me go back to Romans 8, 28, because all of these verses really build off of what Paul states here in 8.28 as kind of a sum up of these things. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That is for those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, that is foreloved or forechose, he also predestined. Uh, What did he predestine those people to? Well, he predestined those people to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, that is Jesus, might be the preeminent one, the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, that is all those whom he predestined, he also called, and all those whom he called, he also justified, declared righteous, salvation. And all those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is not one person lost, it is an unbreakable chain. Now then, Paul goes on to say, what then shall we say to these things? Or, uh, in, in, in a paraphrase here, let me state it another way. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on to build this out. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, even today, right now today. So, a lot of this is a sum up of the gospel. We have in this an amazingly detailed theological build out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finishing here with these four things that Jesus, uh, three that he has done uh, and one that he is currently doing, interceding for us. Actually, two that he has done and two that he is currently doing, sitting at the right hand of the Father and praying even for us now. So we move on to finish this amazing chapter. I titled it The Absolute Security of God's Love, The Absolute Security total, complete, unshakable security of God's love. And uh, I've got three main points here you'll see on the back of your bulletin. Um, I've, I've, I've broken these verses into three main points. Each of them finishes this statement. God's love for us through Christ, God's love through Christ provides for us. And then we're going to finish with three different statements here that come from these verses. Number one, God's love through Christ provides for us an unshakable security. We are secure in His love. Listen to how he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, when he says the love of Christ, he's referring to your salvation, right? Your your salvation. That is, top to bottom, beginning to end, from Eternity past, when God the Father set His love on you and chose you to the moment you were saved in time, right here in your life, to the moment that you will pass into eternity to be with Him face to face forevermore. All of that is summed up in the love of Christ. All that He has done for you on the, on the cross to bring you to life from the dead. All that He is doing for you. There is 
nothing and no one who can separate you from that love. You are secure in His love. What amazes me is how many people, even in our day, will, will read this verse and, and, and still conclude, yeah, but you, you know, if, you, if you mess up bad enough, if you, if you sin bad enough, that love is threatened. And, and Paul, doesn't, he didn't give that caveat here. He says, listen, God loves you. He is committed to bringing you into holiness. He will bring you to glorification. It's going to happen. Now, I think for fear that people will live for hell and think that they'll get heaven, that causes people to, to step back and say, well, that, that, that's not license to sin. We're not talking about license to sin here, right? So, so I think that is a right instinct for us to have. But if we don't have that instinct, we haven't heard Paul. We should have that. Well, what, a, what about someone who lives for sin? What about the love there? That, that's the point. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. If you live for sin, you're proving in that love for sin that you're not loving Christ, right? So th there's an inconsistency there. But for the believer, the one who loves Christ, who loves God and is loved by God, sin will be the enemy, not the friend. Hmm. We do not fear John uh, recorded the words of Jesus saying this in a very decisive way in John chapter 10. He talks about how the Father has given him his own and then some of them who didn't believe. And he says, listen, the reason is my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now, there, there again, you see this. It's, it's all. All of my sheep will hear my voice and will follow me and I give them eternal life. When does he give them that eternal life? It happens at the moment of salvation. Eternal life does not begin when you die. It begins the moment you are saved. You are given eternal life, which is why we don't believe that God will pull the rug out from you and say, well, I promised you eternal life, but then you did this. Right? And, and now, okay, i got to take that back. You lost your salvation. That's completely inconsistent with what Jesus is teaching here and many other scriptures. He adds, just so we're clear, I give them eternal life and they, the elect, the ones who love God, the ones who have been given to the Son by the Father, they will never perish. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean they won't physically die? No, certainly not. Of course we're going to physically die, but we won't perish according to John 3.16, right? We will have eternal life, the kind that death and, and, and wrath and hell has no hold on because we're forgiven. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Don't you love that? That's you, believer. He has you in his hand, and his hand has a grip on your life in love such that there is no threat. No one has the power to pull those fingers loose and rip you out. Not Satan, not any worldly rulers, not even you. He has you in his loving grip forever. He goes on to clarify, just, just so we're clear, he builds it out. 
my Father who has given them, that is the elect of eternity past, He has given them to me. This is amazing. We are a love gift from the Father to the Son. The, the Father has chosen a bride and given her to His Son. So He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you feel the security of his love? He has you. He holds you. He will never let you go. He will never, never allow that grip to be released. That's how Jesus said it in John 10. Paul goes on to say here in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Uh, the answer is no one. But he continues, he wants to make sure we're clear in this. Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Can any of these situations or, or circumstances separate us from the love of God, the love of Christ? That's good. The answer is no. You're right on. As it is written, Paul says, for your sake, Lord, he's quoting a psalm here, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. My goodness. Regarded as, as sheep to be slaughtered. One of the things you see here is that there is not the guarantee given to the Christian that you are going to not suffer. Oh, the prosperity gospel preaches this all the time. And they say that when you do suffer, it's your fault. Your faith was what was wrong. It's on you. What a crushing message that is. Just the opposite of this, Christians are actually promised suffering. That, in fact, you will suffer more because you're a Christian, as we've seen already in Romans 8. Sometimes the Lord, in His goodness and kindness and grace, will save us from the fire. Sometimes He will save us from the fire. Other times, He will allow the fire and even bring the fire right? As we saw earlier in this chapter. But in the fire, He will help. He will meet with grace, sustain, build, encourage, strengthen. So, there is no guarantee that we will not see fire. But the, the promise is, is that whether you are kept from the fire or you are helped in the fire, you are loved. You are loved. Don't ever think because you experience the, the, the challenge or the trial or the fire in this life that somehow God is not loving you. That He is somehow your foe, your enemy. That is not the case. Hardship, suffering, and persecution, these verses make clear. They cannot endanger or even diminish God's love for us in Christ. There is not a threat to the love of God when you're dealing with these trials. Now, things can be tough. Life can be very, very difficult. And I've walked with people who have suffered greatly, far more than I ever have. I, I, I have had a relatively comfortable life. But I was thinking about people that I know that I have, that I have witnessed walk this road. It takes work to rest in His love, doesn't it? It takes work. 
Sometimes the Christian life can kind of morph into this experience of the, the daisy flower. He loves me. Oh, the sun is out. It's warm. And then the nor'easter comes and the power goes out and everything falls apart and it's just a mess. Well, he loves me not. Oh, and then it all works out. Oh, boy, he loves me. And we can, we can pull the petals of this flower through the Christian life and have this roller coaster of uncertainty. Does he love me? Can I know this? Does he, does he love me? Or is he on any given day just, eh, let's mess him up a little today. Let's, let's kick him down the road a little today. You know, what is his disposition to us? It is love. Always love. Always love. The Christian life is a a battle sometimes to choose fact over feeling. This is real. Like this, this is the wrestling of faith, isn't it? What do I know to be true with my mind? Even when my heart reels and, and stirs, oh man, to see people who lose children at a young age, for example. What, what do I know to be true of God? I know He's good. I know He's sovereign. I know He's able. I know He loves. So I have to choose what I know to be true even when I can't understand the circumstances. Even when I can't see how this could be love. How could this be good in any way? How is he working all of this for my good? I don't know. Many times we won't know in this life. Jerry Bridges, a man who has suffered greatly. I love this quote. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It's a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. Jerry Bridges, when he was 14 years old, he heard his mom call from another room. He ran in, and she had died. Age 14. He had all kinds of physical limitations that prevented him from participating in a lot of things as he grew up as a kid. Uh, So he has these limitations that are with him every day. His wife died of cancer just a few years ago. This man knows what it means to go through the fire. And this is how he describes the the work of trusting, the work of, of relying on the promises of God. Even when your heart hurts, know the truth of his love. Rest in his love. Fight to rest in the love of God. He goes on to say, this is from his book, Trusting God, by the way, Even When Life Hurts. Such a good book. It's on the recommended reading shelf. If you haven't read it, uh, I highly recommend it. That which should distinguish the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering, here comes Romans 8.28, is under the control of an all-powerful and all-loving God. Our suffering, therefore, has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan. And he brings or allows it to come into our lives only that which is for his glory and our good. That is a truth, but it's a truth that has to be embraced by faith. 
because we don't often know how it all is working out. We don't often see all of the things that God is doing. We can rest in this. Sometimes God will take our life and use it for His kingdom purposes in ways that we will not even know this side of glory. When people uh, go all the way to the grave, for example, and you say, Lord, oh boy, you know, you look back through church history, some of the most prolific shapers of, 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 the, of the faith throughout history have died at an early age. And you from a human perspective, you stop and say, man, what if they had another 30 years? Think of the good. Lord, but why did you? And, and we look and we say, Lord, you're sovereign. You know. You, you did exactly what was best, both for them and for your glory, the advancing of your kingdom. One of the things that confirms the truth of our gospel is the way we suffer before the world. The way that we go through the fire is one of the authenticating realities of our faith. What, what will we say when we hurt? How will we respond when our feet are held to the fire? How is that different from what the world would do or say? They're watching. They're listening. We have opportunities, friends, even in the fire. We know His love. We can rest in it. Bridges went to this prayer. This is a words that he wrote. He said, this is something to aim for as believers. I love this prayer. Lord, I am willing. I am willing to receive what you give. I am willing to lack what you withhold. I am willing to relinquish what you take. I am willing to suffer what you inflict, or I would add, uh, allow into my life, right? Sometimes from His hand, sometimes uh, allowed by Him. Lord, I am willing to be what You require. What is His aim for my life? More than anything else, His aim is holiness, that I be like Christ. That is His highest commitment in my life. Far ahead of my comfort, far ahead of my happiness, is holiness. And He knows that is the greatest, most satisfying aim. Happiness flows from holiness. Oh, if we could in this say with Jesus, your will be done. Your will be done. Not mine, yours. There's a certain surrender that we find in suffering. It's a humbling experience. Hmm. Reminds me of Jeremiah 31 Verse 3b, the Lord is speaking this to Israel, His chosen, but I think in this, this little part of this verse certainly applies to all of God's chosen. I have loved you, He says, with an everlasting love. Isn't that beautiful? When you understand all the fullness of, of His foreloving us in eternity past, He says, listen, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's why. I have continued in my faithfulness to you. You're secure in my love. My love began long before you were ever a twinkle in your mother's eye. Long before let there be light, I loved you. Hmm. What an amazing love. It is because of this reality that we can find ourselves singing in the dark. You think of 
Paul and Silas in the, in the Philippian jail. Think of them singing. Singing and praising God in the jail, in the dark, right before the Lord shook everything and released their chains. The witness that that was was tremendous. The Philippian jailer and his family were saved by God that night. Because Paul knew that God is good and He is loving even when things are dark and stormy. God's love through Christ provides for us, number one, an unshakable security. Number two, an overwhelming victory. An overwhelming victory. Listen to, these, uh, to this amazing verse. He says, listen, with all of what he just has said in view, no, he says, in all of these things, all this persecution, heartache, trial, suffering, nakedness, danger, sword, even if we lose our heads, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What a beautiful phrase of Scripture. That phrase, more than conquerors. Hmm. Why would He say it that way? What, what does that mean? If you conquer, you conquer. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Can you be more than a winner? Yes. You can conquer in such a decisive way that it's it's like the Super Bowl, right? It's a shutout. It's a, it's a hundred to zero in the Super Bowl. It's such an overwhelming win, such a huge victory, that the only thing that can be said is that you, you're not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. That's, that's us, no matter what we face. <laughs> Invincible. Sure, what, kill me? I still win big. I win big. It's not even close. The scoreboard is broken. That's how big the win is. How is it that we win big? How do we conquer in this way? We conquer overwhelmingly through Him who loved us. And note, note the past tense. This is a unique uh, part of this, of, this, of this flow of the text. Almost all of the other words talk about the love of Christ, which is more present and active happening. This looks back through Him who loved us. So we're, we're now we're not looking at the immediate. We're looking to what He has accomplished. Our victory is sourced from the victory of Christ over sin and death and Satan and hell. We win because He won. This is our triumph in suffering and persecution. So, for instance, when in Hebrews it says we are to fix our eyes on Christ, what does that look like? To fix your eyes on Jesus. Well, we have a victor who suffered and overcame. And because he has suffered and overcome, then we can as well. It's faith in him, trust in him. We engage where he is at, we look to Him. We pray, Lord, help me be faithful to You even in this pain, even in this heartache, even in the fire. Hmm. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, when Paul says this, <laughs> speaking of his own sufferings in ministry. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, church, 
And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And all of a sudden, we're like, whoa, um, does that mean that this wasn't enough? That we have to somehow self-atone? Is that, is that what's being said? Absolutely not. The work of Christ was more than enough, more than sufficient for all of our forgiveness, for all of dealing with everything that we need addressed in our lives. But that suffering of Christ on the cross didn't finish on the cross alone. It's an amazing thing to think about when Paul was confronted Actually, Saul was confronted on the road. And Jesus himself said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you remember this? From the very first sermon in Romans. When we experience persecution, Jesus experienced persecution. When we suffer, Christ Jesus suffers with us. So no, there was nothing lacking when he suffered on the cross. It was a perfect atonement, absolutely. But our suffering is his suffering as well. And so when we suffer, we can say, Lord, your purpose is established and clear. If for no other reason, we are confirming the righteousness of Christ and our suffering is, 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 is brought into his work. We share in his sufferings. It's part of serving the Lord. It's part of what it means to be His, to carry His name, is to suffer. This flies in the face of so much teaching today that you just, you, you just come to Jesus and everything's going to be awesome and, and it's all an easy road, nothing uphill, all downhill. You just run the race and, and, and you never have any challenges. That's just not the gospel. It's the opposite. Take up your cross every day and follow me. That's what it looks like to run this race. So God's love through Christ provides for us an unshakable security, number two, an overwhelming victory more than conquerors. And number three, an unfailing confidence. Unfailing confidence. We go to this final verse. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. What a crescendo. This is the final verse of Romans 8. I am sure, I am sure, he says. This is absolute confidence. I remember riding with someone in the car one time and we were, we were hanging out and talking about the Lord and, and they asked me the question, are you sure you're a Christian? Are you sure you're saved? Do you, are you sure that if you died today, you would go and be with Christ? And I said, 100%. Absolutely, I am sure. And they said, you know, I've never been able to say that. I, I've always been a little uncertain. And my encouragement was, you don't have to be. <laughs> you you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be even in the slightest bit concerned. You can be absolutely confident that you are His forever. That is possible in this life. You can know this. 
and you build that upon the promises of God. He is faithful. He has promised. He will do it. Hmm. I go to 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have. You have it. You have eternal life. No threat. There's nothing that can threaten the life that you have. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. It changes everything when you have this confidence. When, when you can walk in the world with a confidence that there is absolutely nothing that can endanger your future. You are His. You are loved. And you will experience life with Him forever. It is a freeing experience to know Him, to know that you are His, this confidence. Death cannot separate us. I, li- I like this, this list. I just will begin with death. Uh, many times, oh, in this life, our greatest fear is death. And I understand. Like the, who wants to die? No one wants to die like that. It's, it's a scary thing. It's, there's a lot of unknowns to it. But friends, if you're a believer... Death is not a concern. It is not a concern. There is no fear in death for those who know Jesus as Lord. In fact, I would add, for the Christian, the day of our death will be by far the best day we have ever known. The best day of your life is the day you die. Why would I say that? Because it's the day you meet God face to face. It's the day that you get to be in his presence. No better day has ever been experienced by anyone on this earth. Uninterrupted, fullness of joy. When I die, I am instantly, in the blink of an eye, I am with him face to face. The greatest day you've experienced on this earth won't hold a candle to that experience. So no, death can't separate us from his love. Death becomes a door it's, it's simply a door that we walk through to life. Hmm. What about this one? Life. It's, you ever, that ever struck you? Death or life. Can't sep- life can't separate you from his love. That's an interesting thought. Life can't separate you. Christian, life can't separate you from his love. Oh, for all those who walk in uncertainty, fearing that they're, they're going to do something or, or, or just you know, respond in an incorrect way, and all of a sudden, nope, out goes the rug, you're unsaved. That is not the biblical teaching. Life cannot separate you from the love of God. God's great love for us is not diminished or terminated by our failures, our shortcomings, or even our sins, because His love goes back to thee, and I would add, unconditional, as we saw, choice of God. His sovereign, unconditional choice of us before the foundation of the world. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying go sin it up. Let's be clear. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. I am saying that when you sin, and we do, we sin. We, we, we fail. We fall. We, we respond in ways that are inconsistent with the fruits of the Spirit. We are feeble and frail and weak, and when we sin, 
There is the mechanism of God's grace through the gospel each day to move us into repentance, to confess that sin, to find the joy of clean hands once again. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts day after day. Oh, the gospel is not just that we are saved once. It's that every day that gospel breathes into our lungs and meets us in our sin. How do you live righteous like Job? Call your sin what it is. Confess it. Run it to the cross. In righteousness, walk with God. There is no threat to the love of God, even by our sin. When God chose to set His love upon you, He knew every single sin you would ever commit, every single one, in its detail. More than you know it, God knew it. And He still said, I love you. His choice to love us was not because of us. Oh, if we could just establish that, we would be so much more strengthened in our confidence that His love is unshakable. He loves us with an everlasting love. He is faithful. So death or life cannot separate us from His love. Angels or rulers, I like how one commentator said it. He said angels would not separate us. Demons or rulers cannot. Angels won't. Demons can't right? They, they, they don't threaten us. The angels are cheering us on, right? And the demons, they have no power to separate us from His love. Things present or things to come, that means anything that you're facing today. You don't have to walk in uncertainty about the love of God. Even in the fire, even in the trial, He loves you today. And there is nothing conceivable that could come your way that could separate you from his love. Nothing. And then this one, powers. Powers cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Some say that means satanic forces. That seems like it fits well. But you could also see here human government, right? No power of, of, of hell or, or scheme of man or, or anything like that. No, no form of government. No antichrist. No pressure. No President, no mandate, right? I mean, build it out. There's no threat to the love of God that is yours. Height or depth, that's nothing above or below. No place you can go that you will be somehow separated or removed from His love. And then, as, as if He hasn't already covered it, He just adds this final thing. This is so Paul. I love it. He's just like, let me just be clear. I'll just, I'll just wrap it all up with one final bow here. Nor anything else in all creation. I remember a professor one time at Bible school, he pointed at the class and he said, that includes you. That includes you. Nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing, no one can separate you from His love. He holds you in His grip of love. You're His forever. He will bring you to glory. He loves you. What amazingly comforting words these are, especially in times of uncertainty. Reminds me of this song. It's going to be the song we close with. O love of God, how rich and pure, 
how measureless and strong. His love, it, it can't be measured. It, it is, there's, no, there's no end to it. It shall forevermore endure, and it is our song. It, that's the song we sing. He loves me. He's loved me. He will love me. Cover to cover. So, Christian, response this morning. I just want to encourage you to bask in the love of God. The love of the Father, the love that He expresses in the work of His Son and His risen Son who loves you today, who sits on the right hand of the throne of God and intercedes for you. The love of the Spirit who comforts you, who takes these words that I'm preaching from His Word and lands them in your soul with love, with love to reassure your heart, to give you confidence in this world. Hmm. One asks the question, though, it's important to ask, do you know this kind of love? It's just, we, we, we don't know love like this on this level. The closest we could get would be family members, a spouse, a child, right? But even that love, it's not even close to the kind of love that God has for us. Do you know this love? Have you embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If you haven't today, then run to Him. Embrace Him. Trust Him as your Savior. Repent of your sins and, and, and bring all that you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and just lay it down at the foot of the cross. Say, save me. Make me yours. Jesus, I love you. I want to be loved by you in that way. And you will know this love. It is a love that will never end. i close with this. This little song we sang as kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. I know it, for the Bible tells me so. Even if it's hard, even if my heart is reeling, even if the fire is hot and it's, it's hard to figure out and the trials and all the hurts, I'm not going to pull the daisy and, and pull the petals. He loves me not. No, He loves me. He loves me. I know this is true. And Romans 8 begins no condemnation from above and finishes with no separation from His love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. No condemnation from above, no separation from His love. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of this kind of love. We, we are so quick to acknowledge that we don't deserve it but we delight in it. We, we bask in it. It is so reassuring to us. It, it gives us boldness and confidence to run the race of faith and cling to You and know that come what may, to live as Christ, to die as gain. What do we fear? Nothing. And no one. We are Yours. We have been bought with a price. We have been set upon by You in eternity past to be loved by You, to be known by You, to, to, to be held and, and, and made to live by You in this world that we experience. We know that our future is secure, that there will be a day that will issue into eternal bliss and joy, whether it be upon our death 
or upon your return. It is a certain future we have. We delight in your love. Thank you for the kindness of your love. Thank you for the grace of your love. Thank you for the way that you minister your love to us day after day through the gospel that is the air that we breathe. Thank you for the way that you love us through your people, the hands and feet of your love. So often we, we experience your love when our brothers and sisters show that love in tangible ways. Thank you for the way that you love us, Lord, through your word, through the power of your spirit that comforts us with your word. Your promises are true. They are unshakable. We know, and so we trust. Father, give us the, the, the tenacious faith to believe what we know to be true even when we feel that somehow your love is far or that we can't feel the kind of warmth that we know is true. Help us to embrace with tenacious faith what we know to be true, your promises. Lord, cause us to shine as those who are loved by you so that we might love others, so that we might love one another. And, and you would use us, Lord, evangelistically to, to be a light in a world that is dying for love and looking in all the wrong places. Father, we delight in your love and we glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.